Taylor's intersection was a chance for me to have a medium where people could talk about the intersection of money and meaning. I've been in sales 16 plus years and I know for the most part it's binary. One, zero, one, zero, one, zero. If you bring in enough money, then you're a good person. If you don't, you're not so much of a good person. The sales world is binary and missing something important that goes beyond meeting quotas. This is how to prevent selling your soul and wasting valuable years of life. But sales can be more than just a money grab. It can be meaningful and enjoyable. And those who can better explain this meaning are not your cookie cutter by the sales book vanilla people. They're my guests. And hope you enjoyed the first season. More to come in the second and seasons beyond. Um, these are colorful people and they discuss how they derive fulfillment, meaning, enjoyment, and also what they're bringing to the positive evolution of sales. And it continues to be wonderful. To you, the sales intersection um, idea. It's, um, it's unique in that I didn't create it. A sales meets money um, podcast so I can some flip it into some kind of sales methodology and make more money out of it and get more deals out of it. I, I did it because um, I didn't want to have a salesman on my tombstone and, and right. that I wanted to have uh, a little bit more meaning and, and really I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 11 and no, no one's turned me down um, uh, to be on this podcast. So it's, it's been a great opportunity to extend the network and talk to people that are also interested in doing the same kind of thing. Um, maybe not, you know, exactly, but tangentially in, in the least and, and then put me in touch with others that might want to talk about it um, as, as well. So um, it's been a great opportunity for me. Um, you're, you're my season finale. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Don't worry. There's not going to be a, um, to be continued part one, two, and three. Right, right. Knock it down in this one. Um, okay. So, yeah, I want to, um, we'll go ahead and, and kick it off and start start rolling here. Um, this is Sales Intersection, season one, the finale, episode 10. I have my uncle, Kevin Jones, who is the Joe DiMaggio of successful startups. Um, <laughs> the winning streak just continues. And, um, uh, you know, I think, I think there's kind of a, a spectrum in sales where it's, you know, there's, there's high meaning, low sales and, or high sales, low meaning. Um, you've kind of gone through the whole spectrum in your life where that maybe it was more focused on the sales and, and less meaning in your life and, and flipped, um, maybe yeah. around, around the kind of inception of, 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 of SoCap, um, Mm -hmm. So why don't you, you know, when, however you like to do these things, uh, started off with, with telling, telling my viewers a little bit about, about yourself, but specifically on um, that point, that, um, um, that point where things changed and it became more about meaning and, um, and, and less sales and then where you are today. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, well, I had done, uh, I guess, six businesses and <clears throat> when I uh, hit it fairly big uh, back in the heart of the dot-com and uh, sold my business uh, to a public company 
turned out to be 10 days before NASDAQ's peak and 17 days before it fell off the cliff. And the, my sales condition were, I had, was in a bidding war. And uh, I told the three companies I wanted the uh, most cash, the least stock, and the shortest earnout because I, I didn't know that you know the boom was about to, to, to pop, the bubble was about to pop, but I yeah. knew people were paying too much. And and that you know the, the uh, my previous business has been in Mississippi, which is you know there's never been a boom in Mississippi, uh, right. at least not since 1863 when Grant handed his sword to Pemberton at uh, Vicksburg, and they've been down a long time. And so so I you know I got out at a good time, and I was doing another startup, and I just kind of what I did you know whatever, and um, I've done events and media businesses uh, all through my career starting. In 1975 until 2000 when I sold um, and my daughter said you know dad you know why are you doing this because I, I get kind of obsessive when I'm doing a startup and she'd lived with it uh, for most of her life she was 20 and she said you know you don't need the money and you proved you can do business outside Mississippi all the other businesses have been in Mississippi until I moved out to Silicon Valley and, and did the, did the dot-com thing yeah, you know, so so you don't need the money. You proved you can do business outside Mississippi. So what's your life about? And I was, I had this this thing of being at a laptop monitor, pulling down my life uh, uh, menu, and uh, you know what it's about had not been, you know, it, it was a box you couldn't check anymore. The last time I checked that box was in college. And then I just sort of done interesting startups and, and solving problems and things. So I uh, went off and tried to be on a nonprofit board. And that was a lot of consensus, uh, slow and incremental decision making. And, and serial entrepreneurs and, and slow consensus are not really made for each other. So I decided I'd go do something, you know, in the developing world. And somehow I got... Uh, I started a project to solve malaria in Swaziland and Mozambique in Southern Africa. And about two years in, I realized I, you know, I was the last guy that was going to solve malaria. I, I, I finally kind of figured out what the problem was and what could be done about it. And, and I was not the guy who was going to solve it. And uh, I, I, so I stumbled back to the States and uh, didn't know really what to do. And uh, a guy I'd been hanging around with before on a thing called Social Venture Partners, it was a pool giving kind of thing. I said, well, let's start a fund in these new things of social enterprise. And I just kind of heard about social enterprises, business created to, to make money, but solve a big problem, you know, like sub-Saharan uh, uh, solar panels in, in rural Africa. You know, it's actually a really good business. You know, you, kerosene costs, uh, Solar costs 40% less than kerosene, and kerosene kills about a million people through indoor air pollution. So those sorts of things, but also in the U.S., fair trade, literacy, and you can often make money and make more impact than you can by purely giving, because you're not dependent on foundations. Uh, but you could actually make the your solution sustainable by finding a way to build a product or a service that people can pay for. And there, there were a lot of those businesses around and they were having a hard time raising money. There was no funds at the time to, to do those things. So they were trying to rope together angels and it would take three or four years and they would have a lot of dream management. Every angel would, would have their vision of the world and, and just it would, they would, the founder would get diverted. So I said, well, let's do a fund to solve that problem for them. And then I realized that um, 
actually it was in Bill Gates' office that we had our, our uh, epiphany. Uh, we were wanting to invest in a fair trade coffee company from somebody who'd been one of his direct reports. So we got in the room and he stood up at 16 seconds in and said, stop. I don't want to hear any more of this. This hurts. And uh, he said, look, I have two pockets. And he patted one pocket. He said, I have one pocket. That's my business pocket, my investment pocket. I wanted to put all the money in the world in it. And then I have another pocket that's where I do good things. And that's my foundation. And if you say there's a link between them, you have to leave. And we got kicked out by two other uh, billionaires. They let us go 15 minutes before they, they couldn't handle the idea. And so I realized, you know, they didn't want to be around the idea, but they'd want to be around the reality. So we got all the funds that were doing this new social enterprise business to solve a problem that could make money and return money to investors. And we got all together and we made a, a, an event about it. And we, um, we didn't confront them on the definition. We gave them a big festival-like experience. So they were kind of overwhelmed. Everybody said it felt like drinking from a fire hose. And that was what we wanted. We wanted them to be... Uh, know that it was big, real and big and growing and we wanted to change the dominant paradigm of our customers and that was the thing that was different about the sale because usually you just sell what your customer wants and in bill's office we realized what he wants is wrong and we we're in those other two billionaires office and realized what he wants is wrong um so we wanted to change the way they thought about investing and so, you know, we helped create the category of what's now called impact investing. And it's, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars or so, but you had to think differently about it. The old way is I, I invest for returning and I'm justified in being selfish and just thinking about me. Milton Friedman is the classic example that an economist at the Chicago School has said, you know, the only social responsibility of a business is, is to make money and make money for the shareholders. And we said, you know, no, the dominant way of thinking, the Chicago school is what it's called, is completely wrong. And it, it enables rapacious capitalism that can pollute the world, cause climate change, and feel good about it because they're, they're generating value for shareholders while they're making the world uninhabitable. So we said, no, you have to think about investing for good. And now that's become a big thing. You know, the, the business roundtable, huge companies, JP Morgan, et cetera, says we have to be around about stakeholder value as opposed to just shareholder value and stakeholder means who do you impact what's the community you're part of who are you responsible to mm -hmm. and so we, we helped catalyze that and uh but we had to start venture capitals where people can accept new things in in, in investing so we tried to change the, the way of thinking about venture capital and um you know we and a lot of other people uh, and luckily there was enough people to gather it was kind of a Whoville problem. You know, nobody was paying attention. We gathered everybody together and, and like the, the who in Whoville, people heard us. So the message got out and then it replicated. Yeah. And I, it, it seems like you, you're, you had kind of a niche um, uh, yeah. play in, in a lot of these where Rosalie would take care of kind of like the operations and Yep. So take care of what, what would you take care of? I mean, would you take care of the original reach out? Would you take care of the yeah? I would. I, I would find where we should be going. You know, uh, yeah. you know, if if you're imagining, you know, making your way through a jungle, I would climb up to the top of the tree and look above the other trees and say, "Oh, that's where the path ought to go." So I would know where to go, and I would find enough traction to get the first money in the door and the first customers to validate the concept. 
And then my wife, Rosalie, would be the one who actually productized everything and built the business. And, you know, I'm the visionary. And for a visionary to be effective, you have to have people who tell you no. We had three ways that that would happen. I could bring in all the wild horses. <clears throat> and she would say, that's a wild horse we can ride right now. That's great. And then she would say, oh, that's a wild horse that needs to be in the pasture for two or three months to, to just kind of get acclimated. Said, no, that's that wild horse will conflict with our stallion, you know, and and uh, and so I, I was able to do that. You know, she reads budgets, she does the spreadsheet, she manages staff. I point the way I get the first money in the door, I tell the story. I build lots of big partnerships. One of the, the kinds of, my brother is a math mentor, or he was when he was uh, a teacher. And there's eight kinds of math thinking, not just arithmetic. <clears throat> and there's a certain kind of math thinking, one of those eight that I'm turn, turned out to be really good at. And it's finding the highest value with a partner. Like I could find where the best deal is that you will say yes, and you can imagine how it's going to be good for you. And I can imagine how it's going to be good for me. It's, it's finding that, you know, the, the place in between where we build something. So I, I built all the, a lot of those good partnerships, and I'd bring them in and say, Sometimes rollers say no. That's that one. That one hurts. Take it away. Do that, and that does that come natural? Or does that come through? Did you figure that out? And you had to just kind of study it. I mean, well, we've been working together since you know 1975 in business, and we had a couple of years with her father. Uh, she was about to. Her father was about to sell the family weekly newspaper, which is in the poorest county in Mississippi, which is where she's from, in Itawamba County in the Appalachian northeast corner of Mississippi, and. We met out in, in uh, the Bay Area, and so I said, "Well, let's go back and try. How 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 different can it be to be in a uh, the poorest county in Mississippi from the Bay Area? You know, it turned out to be quite different. So uh, I learned to listen to the market because I couldn't understand anybody. I mean, I had to learn, you know, uh, how things were encoded culturally, how they were encoded historically, how they were encoded in slang, in body language, just to cover City Hall of the newspaper. And her father was my guy. He was really a, a, the, the second father I hadn't had. And he said, you know, his job was to build a business where he built a community where his business could survive. And so that became the way we did it. And so I was really, you know, in, in simple ways, I was Mr. Outside finding the new stuff. I would wander around, figure things out, make things happen. And the things that should replicate and grow big, uh, Rosalie would do. And she didn't really like being out there. Uh, and and, and uh, I have a lot more risk tolerance than most people and a lot more uh, tolerance for ambiguity. And, and, and so I, I can explore a long time and finally come back with something. And she likes, when it was real enough, she would say, okay, this is the thing I can, you know, she, she said, you know, I'll, I will widgetize it is what she would sort of say. Yeah. Like I will make it a widget. I mean, yeah. And I mean, you're a genius in, in, a, in a sense of, I mean, uh, like IQ tests down to, you know, your performance track record. Um, you know, we, we could, we can get into a lot of examples. What do you think you you've gotten away with because of being a genius in, in, uh, in, in a lot of different of these examples? Um, where a guy like that, uh, that, that was 20 points slower on the IQ scale wouldn't have not, would not have gotten away with. Well, you know, when I went to work for a big magazine, when I moved out to California, I was not sure whether, you know, a guy from Mississippi could start a business. So I went to work for a tech magazine that was covering the internet and business called Interactive Week. <clears throat> but I, uh, I went in and they had me using Lotus Notes on the first day. 
And at noon, I emailed the admin uh, and I said, look, I'm not going to use Lotus Notes. I'm going to use just a pop email account. She said, no, you have to. And I said, no, look, I'm going to be a star. I'll be, be able to break the rules. This is the first one. And so I, I, I announced to them that I was going to be a star and that, that I, I, you know, I, could, I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, you know, on your, on your first, well, it was, it, was, it was actually the first morning. It was before lunch. I just hated Lotus Notes. It was incredibly restrictive. I said, I, I can't do this. Um, let's, let's talk, um, before I want, I want to get into right now, I think you, you the, the current focus is faith plus, faith plus finance. Is that? Is yeah. That before, before I get into that, um, I'm not sure how many times a week you get invited to these uh, podcasts or webinars or, or whatnot, or, or 30 minutes where you have to speak about the, the, the host's agenda mostly. But if, right. if you had to turn it around and you, you, got to, you got to create the agenda of not only today's podcast, but some, um, you know, a lot of these that you're getting invited to, um, to make it most sexy to you, that what, what, what would you like to be talking about right now? What do you feel should be um, uh, talked about more right now? Huh. Well, that's interesting. I mean, one of the, the, one of the things I'm really working on, uh, and I'm not sure how this relates to a sales podcast, is that I think we need to be working toward a, a localized economy of interdependence because the economy of uh, rugged individualism that treats, you know, uh, your grandmother as an as a, as a expendable human resource is killing us. So I'm working on lots of ways to make that happen. Uh, friends and family funding for entrepreneurs who don't have a rich uncle that we're creating in Asheville. Uh, a uh, church credit union network to get capital in, uh, based out in the black churches to places where there's not a black bank uh, with a credit union behind it. Um, other things like that. I mean, I, I think that you know we have to destabilize the rapacious capitalist economy and we have to, you can't tackle it head on. You have to let it sprout up lots of places. And the things I'm working on and the things I'm highlighting is that our events were also highlighting things like that that are showing up in another place. There's a community investment trust in Portland that lets people invest in their local businesses and, and to keep them away from the hedge funds that want to flip them. Uh, and and uh, especially now that uh, people's rents are coming due. And, but you can invest for only 10 bucks. I'm seeing that replicated in two other places, also in Seattle, also in Atlanta. So there's a new economy that is taking the money away from Wall Street, keeping the money local and letting local people get involved to, to save the economy, especially in COVID. Uh, you know, we decided we're doing this friends and family equity fund because nobody needs any more debt right now. They have all these loan funds. But that means you need to pay them back. And you don't need to take on any more debt if you don't know when your customers are coming back. So we're, we're giving people equity to give them a couple of years run rate, and then they can go back and, and, and borrow. So I think lots of ways that, that can, we, we need to preserve our economy in the pandemic and preserve small businesses because I think there's hedge funds that are just going to want to gouge out our, our main streets, just like, you know, Walmart gouged out Southern small towns and replaced, you know, main street and court squares with just, the strip mall out on the highway with Walmart and, and uh, you know, uh, whatever else is out there. I think we're, we're in a, a similar thing like that. We have to preserve our economy during and post COVID. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned, I don't know how, the, how this has to do with the sales inter, uh, um, podcast, but does, 
I think everyone's a salesman and and you're what you're mm -hmm. doing is you're selling ideas, you know. Yeah, um, I am exactly. And then I'm getting them replicated. Yeah. And so um, I mean, even Heidi, uh, my, you know, uh your 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 niece, my um uh, my sister, <laughs> she's um, you know, she's she doesn't realize it, but she she's selling ideas too, you know. Um, mm -hmm. day -day. Yeah. And so I'm you know, I'm trying to 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 bring those universes together. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I can sell new ideas. One of the things I just, I've discovered, you know, when we had our first fund and it was doing well and, um, you know, but getting uh, decent uh, uh, investment return and, and decent you know, impact of metrics, I said to my partner, I said, hey, maybe we could scale this thing. And uh, Tim said to me, well, that means replication. He said, okay. He said, no, Kevin, that means doing the same thing again. Said, oh, my God. No, we won't do that. So you have to know where you fit. You know, you should you, being an entrepreneur is, is more sexy than it should be now. Most, most people should be employees. You know, being an entrepreneur means you sort of obsess about things and you're willing to take more risks than a reasonable. So you have to figure out, you know, are you an early markets person? Are you a mature markets person? You know, I can go in and figure out the pattern in an early market before other people and then be on the right block at the right time when people get off the bus and I sell them my hot dogs and I'm the first on the block. You know, yeah. I've been on the on the on the right block early, and so you have to figure out where you are in the market, where you are organizationally, where do you fit, where are you at home. You know, most people should not be entrepreneurs. And 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 you also have the convenience of, I mean, you you made it big when it was more when it was more about uh, money and less yeah. less about about meaning. What do you say to those folks that have that that want to make it about meaning right now, but they don't have the resources and capital because they didn't they didn't make it big in those first four or five uh, startups? Yeah, and that's a hard thing. I mean, I, more and more people are wanting to move toward meaning because they realize that you know this economy doesn't care about them, and succeeding in this economy doesn't give them the satisfaction that they want. So you know, I'm, I'm uh, co curating a, a cohort of neighborhood economics entrepreneurs and i've got our <clears throat> friends and family fund in there but a lot of things that are uh, a little bit uh, earlier so you know I'm, I'm i'm doing that i'm helping these people evolve in a peer network we uh, have a 30-minute call every uh friday where we just say you know what you're accountable for this coming week and what's your dream and then every other thursday we have an hour and a half where somebody in the cohort presents and we help them and we go further with it so yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that's, I'm not sure that's a replicable or scalable model. I'm willing to do a couple more of those, finding other people. But I, I, I think, you know, ideas move forward when they're nurtured by, by more mature <clears throat> entrepreneurs and when they're peers. So I, yeah, I'd love to see about replicating that whole model of a mature entrepreneur with a cohort of, of some kind of way. I might, if once I, I mean, we're only in our fifth week and it's working really well. But I think, you know, this could be a, a, a templatable model. But everything I'm working on, I'm working on things that can replicate. It can work and, in my town and work in your town. And in the last, in the last four or five ventures you've had, are, are you coming to them? Are they coming to you? And, and you're picking the team? Or what's... Yeah, most everybody has reached out to me and, and asked for some help. And I said, well, if you want help, we have this thing called the... Uh, Field guide to transformation, which makes sure that we're on the same page, and we, you know, we look at you know what, what's the system you're in, where's the system broken, uh, you know who who are the players, you know we have some players that you need in the system, you know we need a system entrepreneur that's moving the whole thing forward, you know we need a 
finance ninja. You know, we need a uh, a uh, and, and a storytelling evangelist who who will open the door to power and money for you and and let you come in. All those sorts of roles. We need a mother hen <coughs> to shepherd the the small relationships while the system entrepreneur moves the whole thing forward. And so we help them figure out, you know, this is you're you're running into this barrier because you don't have a mother hen in that role. You know, you're you're you're, you're so everybody's being really helpful. So so our, the idea is it could be a replicable model, but it's it's enough in its early days that we're just figuring out how it works itself. Yeah, I got you. And what's 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 kind of that prohibitive list? I mean, what, what's a if you know? I will not do this if uh, you know. Yeah. The specific type of personalities on the list, or this. Well, you know, no, I mean, I, you know, there, there are a lot of bad ideas that keep sounding great to people, you know, and uh, one of the things is a uh, is a uh, day laborer marketplace. I've seen that win three times in in, uh, in you know uh, in, in mashup competitions, in, in in hacker competitions, and the problem is that day laborers have no recourse in a marketplace. And so they always turn into some version of, uh, you know, what is it, Emily's List or something. And there's another one where I'm gonna let people have more decisions about what's good about what they buy when they're in the Walgreens aisle or when they're in the, the Target aisle. And I've seen those fail about six different times. And it turns out that adding this level of analysis to your buying of soap or laundry or, or, or uh, um, aspirin, nobody likes it. Everybody likes the idea. It makes sense to everybody, but nobody uses it. And so there, I, I, so when I had a really nice deck come over last week for one of these things is, well, we're different, you know, said, how I said, well, we're going to be smarter, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but, you know, there are bad replicable ideas. So, so I try to say, look, you know, here are the eight failures who've done what you're doing in really intelligent way, one one guy, Daryl O'Rourke, made uh, took in eight million on that idea, and it just doesn't work. So you know, you have to say, are, do people really? If you want to do a behavior change, do people really want to do that behavior? And if you're putting two behaviors together, are those behaviors people want? I did the same kind of thing. I I was an investor in a fair trade chocolate company, and they, we did great. We put in a million and a half, and they we exited at twenty one million. But I thought people should also want to invest in their supply chain. So I had these little cards and they set up this whole uh, hoop fund that you would, you know, when you're going to the chocolate, you would look at this and decide to invest too. Well, it turns out you're putting your analytical prefrontal cortex next to an amygdala function, which is where chocolate, sex, drugs, gambling exists. And so it's like bringing your mother-in-law when you're trying to have an affair. I mean, it's just, it doesn't work. You know, and so the two parts of the brain hated each other. We, I lost uh, $250,000 of, uh, of other people's money on, everybody loved the idea, but everybody hated the experience. So, you know, yeah. So look at, look at the parts of the brain you're trying to, to do. And it's much easier to get people to do one new thing. My, Matt Flannery at Kiva, he built this great platform, does 150 million a year. And you, you invest uh, $25 uh, interest-free in, you know, through microfinancing, like some goat herder in Afghanistan to expand his herd or a, a seamstress in, in Bolivia to get a, a, a professional sewing machine. And it works because he's trying to get him to do one new thing. 
If you try to get people to do behavior change, you one new thing. We with SoCap, we wanted to say, look, you can invest for good. That's all we said. You you know, you think you can't do it, you can do it. But we didn't try to change the idea. We 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 had them experience the idea. So we had them you know act their way into a new way of thinking by seeing all these new ideas. So if you want to do behavior change, do one change. Don't do two. Okay, I got you. Um, Two last questions. I want to be sensitive to time here. Um, what, yeah. are your, what are your what are your what are your go tos um, in terms of uh, you know um, whatever whatever stack you want to put it in Martech or Mar you, you know, Martech stack or your, your sales stack? Um, what what are the what are the t- the first ten tabs you open up in the morning um, that that are more oriented towards helping one one of your startups or one of your causes right now? Hmm. Hmm. Um, there's a guy named Oscar Periabello. He's a, a reporter for Next City. I, I like to see what he's up to because he's he's writing about stuff that I'm working on, or writing about stuff that people like that are working on. There's not enough media around this small local decentralized economy that will set us free from the chains of Wall Street. So I look for anything like that. There's there's some things from Reuters that are a bit about that, but it, there's not enough. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm on some listservs where people are my peers. I guess the listservs of my peers. There's an inclusive capital group. Uh, I, I check what they're about. But it's, you know, impact investing, there's lots of places you can go now, but I'm not really there. I'm on the far bleeding edge of it, trying to do it down below the whole capital stack to friends and family, you know. What, what 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 about like what about a um, a hub where people that are interested um, that they kind of get a little bit about what you're saying they want more of it that want to be more involved and a, a hub where well, they they have jobs for that or for or, yeah or more anything like that there is not at this point we're in kind of a nascent market that isn't quite there yet there's not really a good news source there's not a good job board yet in this space. There is, in the things where I've been, you know, Impact Investing has some really good job boards and they have uh, hubs where people talk about things, but they all want to go to scale. I want to go down to the neighborhood level. Uh, and and uh, that's not, that it's not big yet. I, I think it can be. And we're doing an event. We're doing an event November 17th on neighborhood economics. And I think, you know, we're gathering the folks who are working at the small scale on, on things that could be replicable in, in your city and my city. When you, small, a, when you do a small plug for neighborhood um, uh, economics, I mean, what? what yeah, it's it's neighbor it's neighborhood economics uh, November seventeenth. Faithfinance.net. That's the URL. Faithfinance.net. And you know we're looking at things like friends and family funding, right? and we're looking at things like the, the community investment trust, where you can, you know, keep your local businesses from being. Uh, taken over by you know rapacious hedge funds, and it's starting out in uh, Portland and being replicated in Seattle and Atlanta. We're looking at all these things where people can take back the economy from Wall Street. <clears throat> we have our network of uh, church-based credit unions, and, and we're looking at just a whole lot of things like that. Uh, and 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 that why and we come from a place where people of faith are are wanting to understand you know how and why to invest in their neighbor. You know, there's a, a lot of white evangelicals have been co-opted by Trump, which has just set other people, other people of faith free to say, no, we're not about that. <coughs> we will invest, you know, in, in immigrants. We will invest in people of color. 
And so there's been a, a countervailing move. And so that's why we located it, faith and finance, because, you know, Trump was the shallow fundamentalist white evangelicals are with Trump. All the other people of faith are not with Trump. And we're trying to build another economy where you care about your neighbor. That's great. November 17th, faithfinance.net. Yeah, I don't know if you know Casey Jones out in uh, Portland, but that she's she's uh, she's a high, no. you know, top kind of probably top five influencer out there. She's on my show. Uh -huh. I'll, I'll have to make an introduction. She'd be, I think that would be top of her list in terms of priorities. Um, anyways, uh, Kevin, it was fantastic having you on my show. Um, usually, the only one that listens this long is my mom. So <laughs> she's, she's, she'll probably listen to this um this long but any anything else you want to promote or uh tell folks where to find you or anything like that um you know the faith finance is where i'm doing a lot of writing i have a personal blog it's uh, the symbioticfund.net uh, and those are things that are not ready for that's where i try out new ideas before they get on the faith and finance so uh but yeah you, you can you can kevin doyle jones and symbiotic fund uh, okay that, that's where the new ideas pop up Okay, great. All right, and um, I'll I'll fine tune this and uh, do the final edit, and it'll be ready for um, on the audio side, Spotify, Apple, and uh, right. five other platforms, and then uh, YouTube channel for video. And I'll let you know when when that's ready before we uh, put it out there. All right. Thanks, Eric. Good to see All you. Right. Good to talk. Yeah. Bye. Right. Talk to you soon.